Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome along to Football Digest Extra Time with myself, Ned Keating. I'm joined today by Dan Burnham as we run the rule over what was another busy weekend of Premier League football. And Dan, there's only one place to really start, isn't there, to talk? All ahead of the weekend was about Manchester Derby, so I suppose the talk after the weekend probably has to be about it too, at least as a starting destination for us. 3-0 win for Manchester City, as comfortable as perhaps we all expected, uh, given how the two sides have been performing so far this season. A deserved win, I'd say, for Manchester City in the end. And Dan, do you feel it shows the golfing class between where the two sides are now at the moment? Manchester United having a very, very difficult start to the season. And Manchester City, even though they have dropped a couple of uh, points in a couple of games and have lost a couple of games, they look to be this all-conquering force that we knew that they were last season when they won the treble. They've carried that on. And I suppose the game at the weekend, the 3-0 win, really highlighted how much of a, of a difference there is between the two sides currently. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, City weathered an early storm, if you could call it that, from United. And then it was cruise control from then on, really. Um I don't think they've had to get into third gear all season. Um, and that was the case again yesterday. Sort of just took the game by the scruff of the neck and they dominated it. And it was it, it got embarrassing towards United at the end. Um, yeah, and well, City, uh, they, they haven't really had to get out of third gear yet this season. Like you say, they've lost a couple of games, but um, which this sort of has cost them in those games. But they're cruising and United, it, it is concerning for them at the moment. Um, it looks like they've sort of taken a step backwards uh, at the start of the season after what was a really promising first com- campaign for Eric Ten Hag last time out. Uh, they've, yeah, the worst start to a season for for a fair few decades. Um, so just quite concerning for everyone involved at Man United at the moment. I don't think they need to worry just yet, but um, it's been like this for a fair few years now. City, completely different class to United. Going into the start of last week, there were question marks around Erling Haaland and the fact that, you know, I mean, he set the bar so high last season, you know, the numbers that he'd already posted this year uh, are great for any other striker in comparison, but such was that form last year that they're like, oh, you know, can he hit those heights? Was he, was that just, you know, brilliance and, and have teams worked him out now and everything else? And I suppose the last week he's really answered those questions, hasn't he? The, the goals against young boys in the Champions League and of course the brace at the weekend as well. Could have got even a hat-trick at the weekend, uh, but for some brilliant saves from Andre Nana, who will come on to in a second. And of course the not being greedy really as well, giving the ball to, uh, to to Phil Foden to score the third for Manchester City when uh, Erling Haaland perhaps could have even gone for the shot himself and got himself that hat-trick. But any question marks that there were over Erling Haaland this time last Monday, they, they, they've been well and truly answered, haven't they? He's shown that he's still the same player that he was last year, still a cut above 11 Premier League goals in just 10 games now so far. Three goals uh, ahead at the top of the top scorer standards as well for Mohamed Salah and uh, Hume Min Song as well, I should add. He is 
you know, still proving that everything is still there, that, you know, for him, it was a minor blip, wasn't it? Just having those games and, and those question marks raised, but he's, he's truly back to his best and he's still looking menacing for every single defence in the Premier League. Yeah, I think Haaland knows now that, that sort of the Premier League is not really a task for him. Um, he has struggled sort of at times against the uh, top six sides, especially away from home. So it would have been nice for him to sort of, sort of quell those uh, concerns yesterday with with the goals and the assist. But um, it looked like he really had the bit between his teeth for me. Um, and that's positive to see for City after sort of, like say, blanked in a couple of games, didn't get on the score sheet. But now... Um, he, he like City probably haven't got into third gear but now I think he's sort of starting to cruise forward and, and will be dominant again and any doubts that he isn't um, going to dominate the Premier League again this season are, are definitely gone I think um, and yeah he, he, he will be top scorer come the end of the season no doubt unless an injury sort of curtails his campaign um, he's, he's a different class isn't he absolutely step above of course, we're talking about Erling Haaland and the fact that he's played so well so far this season, at least uh, in the last couple of games, definitely kind of really stepping up and, and getting back to the form of old. But one man who did thwart him, and perhaps Erling Haaland could have had the hat-trick, could have had three or four or five uh, in the Manchester derby. But of course, Andre Anana, um, someone who's had a, a bit of a difficult start to life at Man United, but of late, he seems to be starting to come good. Of course, he didn't get the result that he would have wanted yesterday, but still produced some some stunning saves um, throughout the game to to perhaps keep Man United from falling further behind. Saving a penalty last week as well against Copenhagen in the uh, in the Champions League too. Are we starting to see the best? Granada, the reason why Manchester United signed him in the summer after, you know, as I said there, the, the first few weeks were difficult, littered with mistakes and, and high profile ones at that. But but now he's coming up clutch at, at moments when Manchester United need him, albeit, you know, yesterday he didn't keep the clean sheet, but he definitely kept it from getting a lot more out of hand than it could have done. Yeah, it could have gotten very embarrassing without him in that yesterday. Um, he, he pulled up some great stops, um, which has been one of the major concerns, I think, is he's not looked too convincing in that um, so far this season. But he, yeah, he looked he looked good yesterday, uh, which is a positive sign for United because they need him to be solid with the defence he's got in front of him. You look at the, the back four yesterday, Dallow, who is more of an attacking fullback than he is defensive, I'd say. Uh, the partnership of Mark Maguire and Evans is is something from like uh, 2016, really. It's uh, very outdated. And then Lindelof is sort of that makeshift left makeshift left back. Um, so Anana needs to sort of be putting confidence into the defenders in front of him because he's not going to be getting that from the defenders. Um, it's not, not going to be a two-way street. And uh, yeah, like I say, promising signs going forward. It's definitely been a good week for his confidence. You could tell coming into a club like United, it's going to be massive pressure. And you could tell that showed in the first few weeks of the season. He was feeling that. Um, but uh, despite sort of suggestions that they should have held on to De Gea, I think he is definitely an improvement uh, in the goal. He's he's shown that with his feet, he's a much, much more skilled goalkeeper than De Gea. Um, and if he can improve his shot stopping and sort of reach the heights that De Gea did during his time at United, then uh, long term, I think he'll be a spot on replacement. I think the one thing you do sacrifice with that is you are always going to probably have an error in there. Um, being better with the ball at your feet, you're going to take chances. Um, but I think United fans just have got to be patient with that, um, given the time and accept that that may happen. But uh, I think he's proven himself, definitely. 
Just on Manchester City now going forward and looking where they are in the Premier League table. Of course, we mentioned those two defeats earlier on uh, in the campaign against Wolves and against Arsenal back-to-back weekends. But it's still only two points off top. That kind of almost seems ominous to everyone else, doesn't it? That, you know, after 10 games, Manchester City have only dropped points in two games. Yes, they lost both of those games, but it's really laying down a marker, I think, to to everyone else in the Premier League that they're still here, that they still mean business and that it's going to take a a hell of an effort, perhaps, from from someone else to to really overtake them. I know they're down in third at the minute, but it's only Arsenal above them and goal difference and Spurs two points clear at the top. It's going to take some effort from someone, it looks like again this year, to to stop Manchester City, I think. It's a joke, isn't it, really? Um, This is sort of their pre-season, I think. The the first half of the season is sort of, they they treat it as their pre-season, sort of set themselves up, make sure they stay in all the competitions and then, well, obviously they're already out of the Carabao Cup, but um, the Champions League, they'll, they'll be there. Um, the Premier League, they'll make sure they're sort of right in the thick of it. And then come sort of the final three or four months of the season, that's when they sort of kick on and really prove their dominance and take it to a different level. Um, so even if even if the likes of Arsenal, Tottenham, Liverpool are sticking around come March, um, April time, I think... It's going to be incredibly difficult for any of them to um, keep pace with City. Uh, the, the talent they've got is ridiculous. The squad depth is unrivaled. And yeah, uh, you can't really see anything else. Um, I, I personally would have backed them for the quadruple before they got Newcastle in the uh, Carabao Cup. That uh, that draw sort of uh, scored that for them. But you really wouldn't put it past them to sort of go on and, and do another treble. Um, it, it was completely, completely in the question, and yeah, they'll they'll be cruising. They'll be cruising. It's all right. We'll let them have the Club World Cup instead, and we'll call that the quadruple uh, for for Manchester City this term in, instead. Just finally on Manchester United, though, before we move on to uh, to the rest of the Premier League weekend action. This morning, there's there's questions again over Eric Ten Hag, and obviously that that poor start that he's had to the season and. And not matching the heights that, as you said there, you know, they had a decent first season. Um, you know, I, I think perhaps papered over the cracks a little bit. And I think some of the rivals, perhaps, you know, again, you can only play what's in front of you. But I think, you know, Chelsea had a poor season, Liverpool had a poor season, the Tottenham had a poor season. I think United maybe were the beneficiaries of that. But again, you can only play what's in front of you. This year, as we've said, I think it's been a very, very tough and, and slow start for them. Is there pressure mounting on Eric Ten Hag? Or are we, you know... Do we need to remind ourselves that this is a team perhaps still in a transitional phase, at least that, you know, this is only season two in the transitional phase that there is still a big rebuild going on. You know, there has been a new striker come in this year. He's only 20, a new goalkeeper come in as well. And that these, these things take time, don't they? they? They still take time to bed in, but should he be worried? Should he start being a little bit concerned that, that things aren't going the way that he wants, you know, eight from the Premier League, five defeats already this season Champions League nearly nearly went even worse against Copenhagen in, in midweek with, uh, with were it not for that late penalty save from Onana and it would have been three the first three games without a win rather than obviously now they've got three points on the board hopefully a springboard for them to kick on from there but should he be worried that the start given how badly it's gone so far that the pressure is going to start mounting unless things start changing quickly I hate the modern football way of sort of the first sign of danger and then the managers sort of on the chopping block. Um, and I think United, to be fair to them, compared to some of their other uh, top six rivals, um, Chelsea spring to mind, they do tend to give managers time. We saw it with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, that, 
they kind of kind of became untenable uh, by the time they got rid of Solskjaer. Um, they gave him time, plenty of time, which was fair enough because he'd um, he'd come in and he'd had a good sort of start to life at United. The same with Ten Hag, ended their silverware drought last season. So I think I think he's he's fine for for now. Um, they should give him the time he deserves. Um, the only sort of concern is the Jim Ratcliffe's sort of impending investment. Uh, if that gets the green light and goes through, maybe a few concerns there that he'll want to change things. But again, I, I think Eric Ten Hag can sort of sit comfortable knowing that he's got the backing of the board. And if United want to get back to where they were 10, 15 years ago, they're going to have to do that because chopping and changing really doesn't get you anywhere seen it time and time again with clubs in the Premier League um, seen it with Chelsea now they got rid of Graham Potter very prematurely um, even Frank Lampard I would have said didn't deserve to go at the time he did um, so you would like to think United have learned lessons from others there and will give Ten Hag uh, the time and even from their own lessons uh, Solix Ferguson when he first came into the club all the way back in the 80s, he didn't get off to the, the greatest of starts. It took him a long time to implement the project that he wanted to. And that paid off massively for them. They became the most dominant club in the world. Um, so they've got, they've got to have a long-term vision. As we said, they're moving on to the rest of the Premier League now. And we're going to start with Arsenal, a five-star win with a five-star performance from Eddie Nketiah, grabbing a hat-trick, uh, his first Premier League hat-trick as well for Arsenal in a 5 win over Sheffield United. Of course, in a week we had the news ahead of that game that Gabriel Jesus played so well for them uh, in the Champions League against Sevilla last week, picked up an injury, be out for a few weeks and... Yeah, he's already missed a few weeks of the season, missed a bit of last season as well when Nketi has had to, to fill in there. And there's kind of always been, maybe not question marks, but, you know, is Nketi off that level? Can he replace Gabriel Jesus? And, well, he went ahead and answered all of those questions at the weekend, didn't he? A brilliant performance, great striker's performance. And and for Nketi as well, knowing that he's going to be, um, you know, probably starting quite a lot of games now whilst, whilst Jesus is out, it's great for his confidence at the start of this run for him as well. Yeah, it's a testament to the squad depth that Mikel Arteta and Edu have built at Arsenal. Um, that they've got those players that can come in. Um, I do agree that Jesus, when he's in the side, he links up better with Martinelli, Saka, either side of him, and the team does run smoothly. Uh, but with Inketia, he's more than capable of standing to come in and, and replace Jesus in the short term. Um, you sort of got a feel for him a bit because even though he's got that hat trick um, now and sort of proven his credentials beyond doubt, as soon as Jesus is back fit, he will be back in that starting eleven, and there isn't a spot for Eddie Nketiah in there. Um, Mikel Arteta isn't going to change his system at all. Um, it's been so successful for him, um, but for now, all he can do is sort of keep plugging away and, and keep putting in performances like he did at the weekend. Obviously, the opposition aren't of the highest caliber, so um, you know you can't take too much from it. But um, I think he'll probably be wanting a move away next summer you would imagine if he continues to find himself behind Jesus in the pecking order which I can't really see him getting ahead of Jesus at all um, he, he he will want sort of that lower league um, Premier League Premier League move I think to um, a club where he will be starting um, because there's, there's 
what he deserves. Um, and you look at long term for his his England hopes as well. We're going to need a successor to Harry Kane. Um, you've got the likes of Ollie Watkins and Ivan Tony coming back. Um, sort of knocking around at the moment, but in five or so years, they won't be options. Eddie Nketiah will probably consider himself sort of the heir to Harry Kane's throne um, with there not being a lot of attacking sort of striker options uh, in the English ranks at the moment. So yeah, right now he's um, he's proven himself at a massive club. So it's, it's doing his reputation no harm. I see now, as you said there, the, the, the opposition and, and perhaps not the best opposition that, that Arsenal faced this season at the weekend. They've now endured the worst start to a Premier League campaign by uh, by any club. Uh, one point from the first 10 games goes without saying then that having only got one point, they are still winless at this stage. And the only Premier League club without a win so far this season after Bournemouth won at the weekend themselves. I mean, we, we expected it would be tough. We knew the off-field issues that, that surrounded Sheffield United Um after they came up last year and a brilliant effort from Paul Heckingbottom to get them up in such circumstances. But it's going to be extremely tough, isn't it, to to kind of keep them up and it's hard to see how they stay up this year and you kind of, I know it's only 10 games, but is the writing already on the wall for the Blades and, and are they destined to be heading back down to the championship at the end of the campaign? I think we're seeing the knock-on effect from last season, the golfing quality between the Premier League and the Championship. I don't think it'd ever been greater than that. The three teams that went down, Southampton, Leeds and Leicester, um, all teams that you can see coming back up this season, um, be it through automatic promotional playoffs. Um, that Those three sides, I don't think we'd seen three better sides go down from the Premier League before. And then you look down to the Championship, Burnley dominated that league. Um even they don't look great so far this season. They look a bit wobbly. Um, yeah, and Sheffield United, it's, it's going to be a very, very uh, to order to get to get to survival. Um, but yeah, like you say, the off-field issues really haven't helped there. Their recruitment in the summer um, didn't set them up too well. Uh, they're sort of relying on championship-level strikers, which they just aren't going to cut it uh, against the Premier League defences. Um, you've got the likes of Cameron Archer, Oddie McBurney, who, yeah, they're, they're, they're solid championship strikers, but for the Premier League, they're just lacking that firepower. Um, and it's, it's going to be a very long season for Sheffield United. I think they've, they've got to give, um, just, just to leave Paul Hecking bottom to do the best job he can, really. Uh, it's not worth sacking him because come May, they're going to be sort of looking for a manager to get them out of the championship. And he's well positioned probably again to do that. Um, their squad's solid enough for that league, but yeah, I think, I think that's one sort of relegation spot locked off um, probably along with Luton as well. You can't really see them um, pulling off a miracle and staying up. Uh, they haven't really shown enough at all so far this season. So a lot of, a lot of teams can sort of, sit comfortable the likes of Bournemouth as you mentioned getting their first win at the weekend uh, Nottingham Forest probably safe in the knowledge that they're, they're probably only fighting against one relegation spot which is quite the luxury From the bottom to the top now and my beloved Tottenham Hotspur still sitting pretty at the top of the Premier League table uh, victory over Crystal Palace 2-0 win uh, at Crystal Palace on Friday night in the opening game of the Premier League weekend and for Spurs that would historically have been a game where we probably would have slipped up um, in terms of Friday nights 
under the lights at Sellers Park. It looks exactly like the kind of game that, that we would have had a bit of a stumble in in previous years. Um, Spurs getting the win. And sorry, did I say 2-0? I meant even 2-1. I'd forgotten about Andre Ayew's goal that shouldn't have stood, but I'm not bitter about it at all, despite the fact that we won. Anyway, moving on past Varchat, it only took 18, 19 minutes this week to get into it. So that's probably a new record as well. But going back to Spurs and what they've done so far this season, two points clear at the top, like we say, how far can they go? This year, you know, we spoke about Manchester City and we think it's going to take a hell of an effort for anyone to be able to, to kind of stick with them for much of the campaign. And the fact that City have lost twice and Spurs are still only two points clear from City, it kind of makes you wonder, you know, will they rue perhaps not not taking full advantage of those those slip-ups when they have occurred and, and the wins? And I know it happened on different weekends, but, you know, kind of where you match those losses and draws up against each other. But for Spurs, how far can they go? What is realistic for Tottenham this year? Is it top four? Can the fans start dreaming perhaps of of, of a little bit more than that and, and perhaps get start getting a little bit carried away, even though, again, it's only just 10 games into the campaign? You can't blame Spurs fans like yourself getting a bit excited, um, especially after the seasons that you've had um, under Mauricio Pochettino sort of your best um, spell in the Premier League and then the last few years have failed to live up uh, to those highs but um, began just come in and he's, he's doing a phenomenal job um, I don't think the title uh, is a realistic um, sort of expectation I think top four definitely um, it's massively helped by the fact that uh, Tottenham don't have European football um, unlike uh, pretty much everyone else in the top six. Um, see Newcastle already struggling, um, big time with injuries mounting up. Uh, Tonali's ban has uh, sort of doubled down the, their woes. Um, I don't think they'll probably be in top four contention come the end of the season. Um, Arsenal had Mikel Arteta sort of rested a couple of players at the weekend. They've got a big, big stacked fixture schedule as to have Man United and Man City. So for Tottenham, they can massively take advantage of that. They, I think they've got something silly like 10, nine days rest until their next fixture against Chelsea at home, which would be a, a big one to sort of a, a really good acid test to see where um, Spurs are. Um, but absolutely flying at the moment and um, fans and fans are loving it. Team confident. I think like I say, that Chelsea game will be big because uh, it was a great performance at the Emirates in the 2-2 draw, but at home to Man United, I think probably got lucky. Um, there was a big penalty shout that wasn't given, which probably should have been given to United. And then the victory over Liverpool, of course, extremely, extremely lucky uh, with the VR howler there. So, um, yeah, top four. Uh, I, think, I think third or fourth, um, depending on how injuries go for Tottenham, but they should be able to rest and recover with plenty of time between their games, especially compared to their rivals. Okay, then. so it's not going to be Spurs perhaps looking to challenge uh, Manchester City and, and Arsenal as being those you know two considered favourites in the in the title race and, and two biggest title contenders. Could it be Liverpool then? Could Liverpool 2.0 under Jurgen Klopp be the ones to, to kind of make it into a three-horse title race, perhaps. A 3-0 win over Nottingham Forest at the weekend, um, as comfortable as you like. And they kind of look like they're back to the Liverpool of old. Like last year was just a blip. That this rebuild has happened really quickly and the, and the new players, especially Dominic Shaboshlai, have, have all settled in really well at Liverpool. And the kind of, the way that they played against Nottingham Forest, I think it had all the swagger, all the hallmarks of, of you know, a, a pre 22-23 Liverpool side that we'd come to expect under Jurgen Klopp where they kind of looked like they were in complete control and they had they could play with Nottingham Forest at will 
And it looked like a throwback to those kind of days. Could Liverpool be the ones perhaps to turn it into a three-horse title race then? Liverpool do look back to their attacking best, definitely, um, which has helped with Darwin Nunes sort of coming into his own this season. Um, he looks brilliant and sort of the player that they paid all that money for. Um, it's a shame, obviously, Luis Diaz missed out at the weekend with the situation going on with his parents. Um, but he also, getting him back from injury, massive boost. Um, the only concern with Liverpool, and it has been a concern for years now, is sort of the defensive side of things. Um that they always seem a bit susceptible to conceding, um, which is sort of what lets them down compared to Manchester City, who often give the odd goal away. But apart from that, they, they're very tight at the back. And Liverpool's new signings, like you say, come in and really strengthen the, the starting eleven. But the actual squad, I'm not so sure, um, has strengthened all that much. I think... Liverpool have struggled with injuries in recent years um, and I think a couple of big injuries could probably curtail their title charge but if if they can manage those and sort of get through the busier periods then, then they're definitely in contention um, especially with Mo Salah um, sort of leading the charge absolute, absolutely amazing um, probably the best winger in Premier League history with him in your team you're always going to have a fighting chance I think Jurgen Klopp may get to a point where he has to choose between does he want to go for the Europa League, which they probably will get into the sort of final stages of, and perhaps the FA Cup and Carabao Cup, or does he want to really focus his efforts on the Premier League, which he has done in the past, to be fair. He's, he's sort of rested players in cup competitions more so, um, and he's, he's doing that already this season with Salah sort of getting a rest last, last week against Toulouse. So yeah, it, it, it's sort of... Wait and see. They're, they're definitely in contention for now. You, you wouldn't, you'd be silly to rule them out. As promised, we're going to whip through the Carabao Cup round four or round five, isn't it? God knows what it is at this stage. Round four, isn't it? There we go. It's, it's like trying to match them up with the FA Cup and who comes in where and how many games are left, etc., etc. Anyway, Carabao Cup games this week. We're going to rip through them very quickly, rip and whip through them very quickly before we finish off this morning. And we're going to start with Chelsea um, and you can kind of bring in a little bit about their, their, their defeat to, to Brentford into this uh, into this as well. Languishing in the bottom half of the Premier League, every time they seem to get an opportunity to go into the top half, they seem to decide that they don't want it. Poor performance from them, I think, in the end. 2-0 defeat at home to Brentford. So it looks like, you know, even European football is going to be difficult, I think, for Chelsea to, to try and achieve this season in the league. That means that they're probably looking at cups and and the Carabao Cup being the first opportunity to do that. I mean, could it ease some of perhaps the the weight of expectation and the pressure on this Chelsea side if they were to go deep into this competition and even win it as well? They're up against Blackburn Rovers on Wednesday night. They'll be looking to win that game. That that that's a given. But do they need a, a decent run in the competition to kind of you know suggest that the project is heading in the right direction at least, even if they're not able to match that in the Premier League currently? That will definitely help Mauricio Pochettino, um, who is going to need time uh, to sort of get a grip on the the massive squad that he's got, um, find his best 11. Uh, He keeps doing sort of a a lot of tinkering at the moment. Um, And yeah, a cup run definitely helped them out. Um, They've got a good chance in the Carabao Cup, like you say, at home to Blackburn. That's sort of, you'd see that as a gimme. That, That would see them through quite easily. 
and you've already Tottenham already out um, some sort of trickier fixtures for the other big sides in the competition. So yeah, I, I think that would that would definitely help Pochettino, who I think as as much as it was sort of a not not an ideal result of the weekend, it, it's been really promising so far. Um, some really promising signs from his start to life at, at the bridge. And I think Chelsea fans can see what he's trying to do and they appreciate that it's going to take time, um, especially with sort of the, the circumstances at Chelsea. It's been a really turbulent couple of years and they need that stability now, uh, sort of settle down. They've, they've gone through a couple of managers. The, there's no excuses now. Um, they've got to give him time. And you won't find many better managers on the market if they do. They don't give him that time. So um, I think I think they're, they're perfectly within good chance of getting some silverware this season. Um, and like you say, I think yeah, the focus has got to be on that um, top four. Probably wouldn't help them. Um, I think that it would come too early for them. Sort of seen that with Newcastle perhaps this season. They overachieved um, maybe last season and they're struggling with coping with the fixture schedule. And I think that would be the same for Chelsea next season if they did get sort of Champions League. I think I think Europa League, they, they would be able to manage like Liverpool are this season. Tied around is undoubtedly a repeat of last season's final uh, Manchester United up against Newcastle again on Wednesday night, that fixture. For Man United, I suppose, for similar reasons to, to Chelsea and, and Mauricio Pochettino, they're probably looking at wanting a, a decent run in this competition as well to, to kind of, you know, try and not pretend that everything's okay, but, you know, to kind of give them that confidence lift and confidence boost that they need, especially after the, the, the defeat of the weekend, getting straight back on the horse and win against Newcastle would be the ideal tonic. Newcastle, conversely, will be still looking for that first title of this new project under their Saudi ownership as well for both sides. This competition perhaps represents a real chance to, to make a success of their season and, and point to it being a success when we get to May that you know they had this opportunity to go deep in the tournament they, they could end up lifting it both sides arguably as well so it's a, it's a big game for both sides I feel in, in their seasons as well when it comes you know in the, in the on the first day of November as well it, it seems quite early to say it's a big game but but for both sides and, and the you know long term in their seasons it it does represent that yeah I think a few weeks ago when the draw was made United would have been thinking oh that is not the draw we wanted especially after Newcastle just knocked out City uh, in really convincing fashion um, but like I mentioned before Newcastle's injury issue sort of mounting up I think Eddie Howe will have no choice but to rest a few players um the likes of Anthony Gordon, Callum Wilson are already sort of clocking up a fair few minutes, um, which he would have hoped not to be the case when he sort of recruited Harvey Barnes. He's, he's got Alexander Isak out injured, both of them really big losses. So I think United, it, yeah, it probably gives it, comes at a good time for them, especially off the back of the weekend. Um, a really good chance for Eric Ten Hag and some of the players that sort of have, have let him down a bit. Um, you're looking at Anthony, um, Bruno Fernandez, very petulant at the weekend. So I want them to put that behind them and um, put in some solid showings against Newcastle. And I, I think I probably would back United for victory there. I think um, given the changes, like I say, that Newcastle will probably have to make. Um, but it would be a great tie, great spectacle, I think. Um, definitely the tie of the round. And like you say, whoever wins will have that confidence then I think to go into the, the latter stages definitely and uh, probably reach the final like both of them did last year. 
I'm just going to end on, on one for the naysayers who say that we only focus on the big teams and the Premier League on this podcast. Uh, Port Vale up against Mansfield Town. Uh, League One Port Vale hosting uh, League Two Mansfield. For these two teams and for their fans as well, one of them's going to end up in the quarterfinal of the Carabao Cup. Perhaps it's not as glamorous as the FA Cup and, and the fact that he's played midweek. But for one of these two teams, it's it's great for these fans to to kind of have these runs, isn't it? And perhaps hopefully in the next round as well, get a get a potential big tie uh, against one of the big sides from the Premier League and under the lights at their home stadium will be a fantastic occasion. But even this game, it's going to be a fantastic occasion as well. A realistic chance for both sides to progress into the uh, into the last eight of this competition. Yeah, I'm sure both sets of fans were probably gutted when their uh, names came out of the hat one after the the other because it means obviously one of them isn't going to get that big tie um, uh, to, to one of the top six sides that are left in the competition or Premier League teams. Um, but it does mean for the victor, whoever comes out on top, that they are going to sort of be reaching the latter stage of the competition, um, which is amazing for them. And um, hopefully you'd, ima- you'd imagine like, like a big, big away day for them um, or... Um, conversely a, a brilliant home tie um, under the lights um, so yeah it's, it's, the, it's the stuff you want it's the stuff that football fans of uh, lower league teams um, cling on to because uh, I don't think Premier League fans sort of appreciate that lower league football is nowhere near as glamorous as uh, the Premier League um, and these moments are why you're a football fan um, the big occasions um, which don't come around all too often, um, especially for the the likes of those two sides. Um, they'll their fans, young and old, will remember this um, for years to come. So it, it'll be absolutely gutting for the the ones that lose and miss out on it. But um, a, a brilliant story for the side that do get through. Dan, as always, thank you for your time and thank you for joining us this morning. Really appreciate it as ever. Of course, you can keep up to date from all the latest from the Premier League and the EFL Cup and beyond across the Daily Mirror, Daily Star and Daily Express websites. But for now, it's goodbye. <laughs>